Welcome to Songcraft. I'm Scott B. Bomar. And I'm Paul Duncan. Songcraft is the show that brings you in-depth conversations with the creators of great songs, from the ones you know and love to the ones you should know. Be sure to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit us at songcraftshow.com. You're listening to See It For Yourself by Sugar and the High Lows, a songwriting and performing duo made up of Amy Stroop and our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Trent Dabbs. The Mississippi native relocated to Nashville in the early 2000s, where he's carved out a niche on the local indie rock and Americana scene. Over the last 12 years, he's released 10 solo albums, a collaborative EP with edgy country sensation Ashley Monroe, and two retro R&B-inspired projects with Sugar and the Hilos, which all music predicted just might be the next breakout band to capture the nation's imagination. He's a co-founder of the 10 Out of 10 Artist Collective and has collaborated with high-profile songwriters including Laurie McKenna, Gabe Dixon, Joy Williams of the Civil Wars, and Casey Musgraves, with whom he penned the Top 40 country single Undermine from the hit TV show Nashville. Other songs from the Trent Dabbs catalog that have appeared on the series include World on Time, I'm Coming Over, Shine, and Don't Put Dirt on My Grave Just Yet, which became a top 40 hit for series regular Hayden Panettiere in 2014. Many of the songs from Dabbs' solo projects have landed on high-profile TV shows such as The O.C., The Hills, Grey's Anatomy, One Tree Hill, So You Think You Can Dance, The Vampire Diaries, Pretty Little Liars, Hawaii Five-O, NCIS, and others. Dabbs contributed six songs to Ingrid Michaelson's 2014 album Lights Out, including Girls Chase Boys, a top 10 single on Billboard's Hot Rock Songs and Adult Top 40 chart. His latest album as a solo artist is called The Optimist. Well, so yet again, we've got kind of a historic interview here in that this is the first time a Songcraft guest has come to Songcraft headquarters. Yes, Songcraft World headquarters here in Inglewood, California. Right. Um, kind of let him peer behind the curtain a bit. Yep. I had yep. to wear a shirt. <laughs> That's right. We uh, we still wore short pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were a little bit casual. And I have to say, when Trent came rolling in, he was looking pretty sharp. He had some like cool like like retro Air Jordans on. Yep. And I will say that Trent had kind of like a satiny jacket on, which you will hear some of in the interview because <laughs> it kind of does make a little bit of a, a rustly sound, which yeah. I consider just ambiance. It is hard not to, uh, it, it's hard to keep the satin baseball jacket quiet. Yeah. You, I will not be silenced, it says. <laughs> it was a cool looking jacket, though. It's funny. I, we've all talked before about, like, there is kind of like a, a satin baseball jacket era uh, in country music. Not that Trent's a country artist, but, you know, if you look at a photo of Alabama oh, yeah. from the mid 80s, you're going to see heart. a satin baseball jacket. Yeah. I feel like the satin baseball jacket transcended country music, though, because, like, I feel like Phil Collins That's definitely true. was like satin baseball. I, I feel like. I feel like if you were going to take a cultural artifact to best represent, let's say, 1981 to 1983, yeah, satin baseball jacket. It could be. I definitely found myself wishing I had dressed a little cooler when Trent was here. He made <laughs> yeah. me feel a little bit like a dork. I think yeah. I probably did have some shorts on, and my socks may not have matched. I'm not sure. They don't match today either, I see. But, yeah, uh, I didn't have to tell anybody that, but thanks. Well, yeah, you know, I, like, I want everyone to peer behind the curtain of Songcraft and know what we're really about. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this, man. In, in the process of getting ready for Tritt's interview and in kind of editing it, I fell in love with these songs. Yeah, he's a great, a great writer and really has great sense of melody and is one of those guys that really is able to connect kind of the present and, and the past, yeah. which is something that I always really uh, appreciate in a songwriter. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked that we get to introduce our listeners to this stuff today. I think it'll be uh, not only fun to listen to Trent talk because he's a funny, engaging guy, but yeah. I think this is music that you guys are going to uh, take with you long after you listen to this. Yeah, definitely. Let's check it out. Yep. Trent, welcome to Songcraft. Thanks. So, Trent, I wanted to start by um, reading a line from your bio on your website. And it says, Though his songs have often appeared on billboard charts, radio stations, and television shows, his name is far from a household one. Um, And there are probably more artists and songwriters on the face of the earth today than there ever have been in the history of all time. And a minuscule amount of those folks are household names, people who are superstars. And then you have a huge amount of folks out there who we all know nothing's ever going to happen. Like nothing's going anywhere with that. They, they make their songs, they put them online, you know, whatever. And that that's about the end of it. But you are one of the rare folks who has managed to really carve out a career for yourself by doing various things from your own artist career, writing songs for other people, getting a lot of sync placements in, in TV and that sort of thing. Um, kind of putting together these various projects to build uh, a life for yourself. Um, and that seems to be kind of the way that the model is shifting for folks who really want to make songwriting a profession. Um, and you've had some really cool milestones along the way with some, some billboard hits and some, some high profile sync placements. Um, but I'm curious, uh, in what ways is your career today similar to and different from how you envisioned it, it might becoming when you very first started out? Um, I would say that it's similar because, uh, my, my love for songwriting uh, hasn't gone away mm. and my love for like waking up and wanting to do the same thing but better every mm. day right you know um it's changed as far as like um having to hustle twice as hard you know to get mm. half as much work it's yeah i always tell people especially in nashville that it's like sipping through a talent fire hose and uh there's a lot of people that are just trying to get their music heard yeah right. so i would i would say there's a it's a lot harder as yeah. far as getting uh, your music heard these days, but the love hasn't gone away. So mm. if anything, it's just gotten stronger. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And for you growing up in Jackson, Mississippi, was songwriting the thing that first grabbed you when you were listening to music and you, and you said, man, I, I want to get inside of what these songs are about even more so than the kind of like image that an artist portrayed. You were, you were all about the songs or. Well, I think I've always uh, been about the songs but didn't truly know uh what that even meant i mean this is sad in a way but until i got to nashville um i didn't know that you could actually do it for a career mm-hmm. i mean uh my next door neighbor had two kids and i was like what does he do for a living and they were like oh he's a songwriter i was like no but for a living <laughs> like how does he do it um but i knew that i wanted to be attached to um, the feelings that I was getting from the songs that I heard growing up. Right. Yeah. Uh, most of which would be like a, a lot of Neil Young. Mm. Mm. Um, and I knew that did something to me every time I heard it. And I think being in Mississippi uh, uh, helped me dig, dig a little deeper. 
how did you come across Neil Young? Your parents or? No, it was actually my good good friend in uh, in high school. We would. Uh, it sounds really boring, but it's like sit in sit in the lawn and and always uh, he would have it playing, you know, <laughs> just smoke a pipe and listen to it. And I mean, I don't know how to explain it, but uh, if you fast forward, I I did I, I got to meet him in in uh, Nashville. Nice. However, many years later, yeah. when he was doing that uh, uh, Jonathan Demme uh, Heart of mm-hmm. Gold DVD right. at the Ryman. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine texted me uh saying hey neil's at at this pub and so i totally did the i geeked out and went <laughs> to the pub and then when i got there i was like what do i think i'm even gonna say right, right. but I, I i went up to him and <clears throat> when he was walking out and uh struck up a conversation and i'm walking on the side street with him and he and he's like see so you a writer and i was like yeah and he's like that's good you know my dad used to say to write every day and if it's not good throw it away and i'm like I'm getting advice from my hero right yeah, now. Yeah, right. Awesome. And uh, ever since that day, too, I mean, I, I did. I tried to. I've been trying to write every day. You know, yeah. even if it's a different variation of the same song, and it gets better. You know. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I find it interesting. You said you moved from Mississippi up to Nashville, but you didn't know until you got to Nashville that you actually could make a, a career yeah. as a songwriter. So what was the thing that made you take that leap or that, that drew you to Nashville in the first place if it if you didn't really see that as a viable career path? Um, I guess the progression was this. like I, I, I went to Mississippi State, um, got a psychology degree, uh, and then I moved to um, Oxford because there was a producer um, that worked in a small studio there that had a huge Neve console and all this vintage gear and always wanted to work with him. He did Innocence Mission Glow and Buddy Guy Sweet Tea and Modest Mouse, you know, Float On, all those songs. And, right. And when I was in college studying psychology at Mississippi State, um, there wasn't a lot of music there. So I think whenever I would play and people would come it started uh uh feeding the yeah. delusion of uh <laughs> of being an artist you know and yeah. so i did a record with a guy in oxford and then moved straight up just moved to nashville to find a band to play it and to tour it and i'd mm. been to nashville once knew i didn't know anyone there right um do you think knowing what you know now about how difficult it is and the grind and everything would you have made that jump to go to Nashville or was there something about not knowing that made it easy to make the, the move? I think not knowing really, really did make, make it that much easier. Yeah. I mean, I, um, pre kids, you know, you, right. uh, you kind of just, at, le- at least my wife and I just made, made decisions immediately. It's like, we right. want to do this. We do it. I mean, hmm. even, even living in Nashville, when I would meet these people around me that were other songwriters and artists, it was like, oh, we should tour together. Okay, um, and we started this um, this this uh, thing called Ten Out of Ten, which is me and nine other solo artists. Right. Uh, which is awesome, by the way. Oh, We're thanks. Definitely yeah. get to talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about. Um, you mentioned that first record. Now, was that uh, quite often? Yeah. That, that your first uh, your first solo record. Um, you know. The song um, "The Love Goes" from that album appeared on the OC and attracted a little attention. Cause you said you're my love. 
lot more TV show placements that we'll talk about. But um, talk a little bit about how I'm guessing that was probably one of the first opportunities to to get one of your songs in a television show. Talk about how that kind of presented itself and and what would ultimately be kind of a big part of your career. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> actually, if anyone ever asked me the kind of music that I write or kind of music that I play, really, I I just tell I tell them heavy mellow. That's like the genre <laughs> that I made up, I guess. And um, that kind of music. It was such a timing thing. It just fits. It fit perfectly for these shows, yeah. and 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 honestly, it felt like uh, surfing before the world bought surfboards, you know. And right. uh, music was kind of catered towards that. And uh, um, I had a publishing deal for a year and a half, um, and the first person I wrote with in town was Ashley Monroe. There's like all these side stories that I'm trying yeah. to avoid, but uh, but that company folded, and hmm. I was like how am I going to make a living doing this? And then I got um, two placements and it was, uh, it basically launched my career. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it went from, I, how am I going to do this to these people in LA calling saying right. I want to, to I'm opening for REM at the Ryman. To, <laughs> that was my first, uh, <laughs> first gig in Nashville. How about, about that for being a, uh, really? yeah, my, bu- my booking agent was like, Hey, um, REM is playing at the Ryman. Do you want me to see if you can open? I was no. like, yeah, yeah, you do that. <laughs> right. And they were sure. doing a thing where they picked all the handpicked the artists. Um, and so he submitted me for that. And, uh, I remember going to my house, this tells you how long ago it was, uh, pressing the <clears throat> voice recorder and it was like, Hey man, this is Hunter. So yeah, the, the REM at the Ryman, it worked out. And I was like, beep playing again <laughs> and uh it was unbelievable like wow. michael stipe handed me a bottle of wine i, I gave him the jacket i was wearing uh, i have a picture with um, the two of us i was upstairs at the ryman while he's looking at a picture of johnny cash i'm looking at him i'm like i'm looking at an icon looking at an icon. <laughs> Dude. Right. you know and then the next night i was playing in lexington kentucky for 60 people so right. i always keep it real <laughs> right levels right, it up right. yeah um you mentioned this a second ago, but uh, in 2005, you and your wife, Kristen, started this, I guess what you would call it, an artist collective in Nashville called uh, 10 Out of 10. The second 10, of course, having two ends, referring to Tennessee. Um, you guys have released several compilations, and from what I understand, you, you sort of all perform together and mm-hmm. support each other, and you've sort of created this... Um, artistic community in a way in Nashville that's uh, sort of falls outside what people might think of as a typical Nashville country music mainstream sort of thing. Um, talk a little bit about what the impetus was for that and how that kind of came together and what that is kind of meant for you artistically. Yeah. Um, I mean, originally it was a handful of friends that would write every once in a while and I would see them perform and I would just be inspired. And mm-hmm. anytime something inspires me, I want to be affiliated with it. Um, you know, I watched the movie The Last Waltz and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at, you know, Dylan and Neil and like Van Morris and all these people on the same stage. And I'm, I'm a, here's a Neil Young quote, I'm a dreaming <laughs> man. You know, I guess that's my problem. It's, I, I wanted to be a part of something like that and start mm-hmm. something like that where it's a bunch of like front men all on stage and 
so uh, again we just kind of went for it it's like what if we put all of these people together they're all multi-instrumentalists and they play on each other's songs it's like a live ipod shuffle um everyone plays two songs at different times in the set we're like cross pollinating our fans right and uh i mean we did that we we did seven tours and over so many years and five or six compilations and then we just had our 10-year reunion at the ryman and it was like wow watching all of those people kind of be the best versions of themselves yeah and it, it was a uh, also a time before nashville like i think nashville was more known for just uh country and gospel music you know right. and, and there was a whole scene that was happening so that was our point was to try to and we didn't second guess anything. It was like, well, we need a bus. We get a bus. You know, <laughs> I remember this lawyer like passing the compilation back to me, and he was like, "This seems very uh, ambitious." And I'm like, <laughs> "Exactly, right? That's <laughs> isn't that the point?" Right. Um, <laughs> right. What's pretty cool, you know, not only from an artistic standpoint, but that the community of those ten artists kind of maintained its structural integrity. I mean, I think about getting ten friends together and trying to decide where to go to eat lunch. Right. And I imagine that decision would be a tough one to make you guys are booking tours putting songs on records you know playing stuff in a show night after night yeah and the fact that the goodwill allowed that to happen amongst all those artists and uh, frankly amongst all the egos right yeah yeah you know i think it, w- it was a good blend um just a good blend of people and a lot of those people when you're performing it helps you step your game up you want to get mm. better and i think as good as everyone is i mean they always want to get better yeah. so um it was something i mean there was one uh compilation that we put out again this is like we get to see the behind the scenes before the world does like uh these people in nashville before the world gets to see them and right. uh you know there was a time that angelina presley and, and ashley monroe and Cree harrison are all like sitting in my living room singing and i'm looking at my daughter going, you don't know what's happening right now. Right? <laughs> right. And I see those kinds. Of, so one of the, one of the volumes that we put out had, uh, I, I was like, let's see how far the brand has gone. And yeah. that was just assuming that people would see 10 out of 10 and they'd just go. Yeah. But a lot of the, these artists hadn't done their, hadn't toured yet. So that was like a half, em- it'd be like half empty rooms, but it was, you know, uh, Mickey Echo and Joy from Civil Wars and, uh, butterfly voucher there's all these amazing people right and when people would watch the show you see uh mickey echo and ashley monroe on the same stage right. playing each other's songs i mean you're yeah you're floored yeah yeah so yeah um well you actually teamed up with ashley monroe to release a self-titled ep um which featured I think a really cool song on there. I'm coming over, um, a version of which later appeared on Nashville. I'm coming over. Your version of that song to me sounds like this like crazy like Phil Spector meets Americana like it's this very cool vibe um, and kind of not what I expected to hear. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about how you and Ashley started working together and what kind of musical 
influences that you each brought to the table that ultimately resulted in you guys saying, Hey, let's make an EP together. Yeah. Um, she, like I said, was one of the first people that I, I wrote with in Nashville. I was playing a show, um, at this little club and she came in and, and I played a half, I had almost done, I was almost done with this song I had just written called shine. And, uh, she contacted me and said, I love that song. Hmm. And I was like, well, your voice is amazing. Right. You, you want to finish the song? And uh, she was like, sure. I was like, where do you live? And then she lived behind me. Oh, well. <laughs> wow. So I walk over there. We write that, <laughs> you know, finish that song and start writing other ones. And uh, again, I, I just I want to capture these things when they happen. Yeah. So as soon as we had written those songs, uh, I contacted some people to see if we could just put them down. You yeah. Know? And you can put the players around you that you need in yeah. Nashville. It's like, oh, I want, I wish it had a Roy Orbison vibe. Okay, let's <laughs> do it at Smokestack, you know? Yeah. So um, it was really fortunate, uh, again, with the timing and, and sort of knowing these people before the world did uh, yeah. Yeah. and their availability. Would you say that you kind of bring some kind of R&B edge to her kind of folky, rootsy kind of thing? I mean, there's something Perhaps. very unique about what you guys did that I think is a really cool vibe. Yeah, we're both... Um, completely uh, obsessed with melody um mm. we had played each other songs from other people that we've heard and just kind of start we would laugh at the the parts that we both love so much it's like a instant it's like a, the kid in me like that's what happens when i'm getting into something mm. i right. just like start laughing like giddy <laughs> and uh right but yeah we sh we would share our uh our love for for certain songwriters and 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 as soon as, I mean, she has it in her though. Like there's, yeah. there's, there's an, a handful of people that I've been around that um, maybe more than a handful, but she would just plop down on the couch, have a guitar in her hand and just start singing a song that, or, or a line where yeah. you're, you're immediately enamored and, and ready to, to, to write because right. it's so inspiring, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you can hear Dolly Parton all over her. Sure. You know? I mean, that's. Yeah. That's what I felt like I was sitting in front of Dolly, really. Right, right, yeah. Well, you mentioned that song Shine, and that appeared on your 2008 album Decade Fades, and it was also later picked up by the series Nashville, uh, where it was performed by Sam Palladio playing the character Gunner. Like a lot of the characters on that show, you came to Nashville as somebody who didn't necessarily fit like just the country staff writer mold, um, but obviously have found your way there. You know, for people who may not be familiar with the town, the songwriting community, the way things work, how is actually living and working in Nashville different than the TV show? Oh, well, <laughs> how long do you have to answer that question? yeah well people you don't just walk in and they finish a song in five minutes right. like they do on the show they're like oh yeah we were just finishing the bridge like, <laughs> like uh, um different from the show oh it's so it doesn't it doesn't touch on um the indie the indie scene right. at all so um 
Like maybe it has about the same amount of realistic distance from its subject matter that ER yeah. or a show like that does. Like, yes, it's about the emergency room. Yeah. But it ain't quite like that, but sort of. Right. It's an actor version of... And there's there's not uh, paparazzi everywhere <laughs> that anyone walks. Right, right, right. There's more places than just Tootsie's and the Rhyme and, and the Bluebird. Totally. Right. <laughs> like, I don't even go downtown. I can't right. remember the last right. time I went downtown. How many songs of yours have, have been on Nashville? Um, um, eight, I think. Eight. Something well, like that. yeah. And, and they had, what was interesting is that I would have people say to me, like, how, how, you, so you wrote this song for that show? And I'm like, no, I actually didn't. I mean, <laughs> you know, we Ashley and I wrote this song from a genuine place years ago and the right. supervisor liked it and just kept pushing for it so right. that was cool yeah the thing that struck me about and i have to confess i watched half of season one uh so i have not stayed uh loyal to nashville but the thing that struck me was that i felt like the music um on the show was very uh intentionally kind of maintain this kind of edgy kind of cool factor yeah it was kind of a little bit cooler than some of the real songs that i was hearing like on country radio like, well <laughs> that it was kind of my end to country at all because if what i'm doing is left of center writing which i don't think it is you know that that gave a little bit of americana flair you know for nashville so yeah. it was cool that people actually thought i was writing country music you know right. i'd play yeah. in the uk and people would start singing back these songs i'm like you guys they're crazy about that show. Yeah, yeah. So, but I guess to answer your question too, I thought about this. Um, one of my songs, Undermine, was on that show, and it's like uh, two people in the bed of a truck, like Hayden, uh, with a pad and a right. pen, and her Daisy <laughs> Dukes in the bed of a truck, right. you know, and <laughs> Charles Estine, S- I think. Uh, him with the guitar I'm like I've never written a song in the bed of a truck <laughs> right. and I've never had a girl take her shirt off and jump in the river or whatever <laughs> right. you know like that right. kind of doesn't happen <laughs> yeah like, imagine you're trying to put a session together well can, can we get this writer room or no you know let's just use let's my just truck just do the truck yeah, yeah. just yeah. go down by the river take our clothes off do you bring yeah. a pen do you bring a pad okay <laughs> we're good that, that should be Sit. enough <laughs> that's amazing well speaking of television shows as we will continue to do um, the title track of your 2010 album Your Side Now was on Grey's Anatomy which is a, a big show for music. It's launched a lot of songs. Um, but probably the most successful song from that record was Inside These Lines. Oh, how we lost what we had Inside these lines, inside these lines Could we watch it stay the same All this time just be fine It's so made a video for it and the song appeared on the ghost whisperer one tree hill so you think you can dance um what can you tell us about that song um i wrote it with the producer jamie kinney um who i feel like is uh, a secret weapon in in nashville he's amazing um it's i wrote it about my friend's divorce um and what i watched what i watched him go through which hopefully isn't too unfair for me to just lift off of someone else's <laughs> feelings. But um, yeah, there, there was this emotional disconnect and, and there was like a vacant uh, stare um, that was happening um, with their relationship. And 
it really uh that it really took me somewhere that song and it being on that show and again that was perfect timing because we did a 10 out of 10 tour so i could play that song you know so it's almost like doing a tour for a song you know i want to talk about the song off we go from your 2010 album transition and that's a song that uh, appeared on the show one tree hill as did two other songs from that same record also appeared on that show um the song Counting Sleep from that same album was on The Vampire Diaries and, and Pretty Little Liars. Um, by this point, you're like the king of sinks. I mean, mm. you're getting all these songs from your records on these TV shows. Um, but I'm wondering, does that begin to kind of creep in and affect your approach to songwriting? In other words... In the past, you've sort of stumbled into these right. cool opportunities where your songs get used in TV. Now you know there's already built-in interest that people are going to be yeah. thinking like, hey, this next Trent Dabbs record could have some cool songs on it. In what ways does that sort of tempt you or influence you as a songwriter to start going, well, this would like really work cool with this yeah, such yeah. such type of scene? Yeah. Um, it's tricky because I, I feel like as an artist... If your song gets on a show, that's like a, a perk to being an artist. Yeah. Then when that perk happens a lot, and then your livelihood is contingent upon that perk, it's it's hard to not let that affect you. Right. But I will die by this. But I've I've tried to just put my blinders on, and and even though I would be aware when I'm writing with something someone that this could potentially work or potentially not work. It's like whatever would make the best art. That's what I want to do. I mean, even all the songs that have gone the farthest came from real places. They weren't me trying to write bittersweet symphony. I mean, if I could, that would be another thing. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's like inside these lines went really far because it was from a real place. And uh, um, so I guess I would, I'm always surrounded myself with people that would inspire something that, would be different yeah and not just sound like music that would be on tv you know what i mean because that doesn't always inspire yeah there there have been some some songs of yours um like this time tomorrow that uh was on alias and one tree hill pretty little liars private practice um i don't think was on um one of your albums um but you know as a single available on itunes and everything of course um are there times where you kind of get a song placed on a show or, or somebody winds up nabbing it for a show and you go, Oh, I didn't even Suddenly think about putting that on an album. Yeah, I better yeah. get this thing out. Yes. Many times that, that would <laughs> yeah, happen. I'm right. like, Oh, this is suddenly a single. Right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And, and that, I feel like those were different times. I, I'm, I'm not sure that happens so much with a lot of artists these days. Mm. Uh, right. I don't know if it's because the, uh, the timing it's its the songs aren't as long or you can't really connect with them or hear them like they kind of gave them more um, more of a platform I think yeah, yeah. years it, years ago it isn't like, it funny how we're talking even about how things are changing in five year spans yeah nowadays five six year spans right. like times are changing the way people are approaching music is changing it's happening so fast so fast yeah I mean I, I feel like yesterday this friend was like Hey, Spotify is going to come to the states. It's going to change a lot of things. I'm like, no, it's not. Right. And then, <laughs> and then we're having a, you know, we had a meeting at our office with the Spotify team, and I'm discussing with them how it felt like 
um, TV was for a single, like Spotify is kind of doing that now. Yeah. Because it it would it took a song that I never put out as a single, and and it was on a playlist, and suddenly, you know, it, it gets more streams than any song I've ever had, and that was like a song that was just me and the acoustic and 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 this emotion that I had. Right. Yeah. Um, just just tracking it. Yeah, right. It almost it, it's it's funny how everything that's that's old is new again. You know, as we were talking uh, um, recently, we interviewed Tom Johnston from the Doobie Brothers, and we were talking about like Blackwater was their first number one single, but it was never released as a single. Yeah. It was a B-side mm-hmm. and, a, you know, an album cut. And some DJ somewhere in Virginia just thought it was cool and started playing it, and it sort of spread like wildfire. And we're almost back to that kind of thing now where without you controlling it at all or saying, well, this is the single from the album that Spotify has created this new platform, like what radio used to be. Of course, right. radio's so programmed now that that would never happen on radio. Yeah. But now these new technologies are developing where that sort of thing can organically kind of occur. And then you go, oh, I guess I have, I guess that's a single now. Yeah. 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 It's pretty wild. I actually wouldn't be surprised if we see a return to the sub two minute single back in the days, like the early 60s, because you have sort of the Vine Instagram attention span that you're going for. so true. You're headed toward maybe a TV (laughs) placement where all you really need is maybe like a 60-second clip of the song. So I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing songs come out again that are sub three, sub two. Yeah. So if you write like a a great bridge, you can be like, well, that's now just a song. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) That makes me sad. (laughs) Suddenly just like crying in the fetal position over here. Well, let's let's see if we can pick it back up. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you about your 2011 album called Southerner, which is it's an interesting title for a guy who went to school in Mississippi, who yeah. grew up in Mississippi, who's in Nashville. You are a Southerner, sure. born and bred. Um, some more great songs on that. Keep Me Young, which showed up on Bones, Follow Suit, uh, also made into a video and then used on Pretty Little Liars and One Tree Hill, Leave to Sea on Hawaii Five-0. I mean, there's, it's like reading a TV guide <laughs> going through here. Um, but is there, you know, something about your Southern identity that's central to your music and central to who you are as an artist? I mean, to, to put that as the title of an album, I think, is, is a strong statement. So I'm, I'm curious what kind of statement it is. Um, yeah, I, I think anyone who knows me picks up on that pre- pretty quickly. Uh, how I, my, my roots run deep and, and you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Delta Blues and... Um, I almost changed uh, my name as an artist to be Southerner, you know, and because mm. uh, I was I was thinking of how this that record like sounded like a band, mm. and uh, I really sat on that for a while because um, you hear things differently if you're thinking, oh, this is a band, right, as opposed to just an a solo artist. Right. But um, I think it all just goes back to like the a back porch, you know, and, mm. and a conversation. Um, so the, the more I was digging through Southern lit, or, you know, reading Flannery O'Connor or something, I was like, why wow, that name just kept appearing. Yeah. And it, and I felt like it really was a, a strong title. I feel like, I feel like the best of what America has to offer artistically has come from the South, particularly musically. 
But even that, you, you said Flannery O'Connor, and I think William Faulkner, I think Harper Lee. Yeah. Know, the, the literary tradition is incredibly strong yeah. in the South. Right. And you think even Motown had its roots right. in Southern music. Yeah. Country music centered in the South. Right. Rock and roll originated from the South. I mean, yep. like you're saying, I mean, when I lived in Oxford, Mississippi with my wife, it's like we got married where Faulkner was married. Larry Brown yeah. lived there. I mean, R.L. Burnside, there's all this blues I was saying. Like, right. That's a literary town. And and when you sit, when you walk into Square Books and, and put your hands on the pages of these books and, and meet these people, it just it is infused in what you do. Yeah. 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 And maybe it's something about the pace of life that allows people time to write and think and ruminate and watch the world around them. That's allowed so much to, to originate there. I don't know, but I think that that what you're kind of hitting on is there is a cultural richness to the South that is often dismissed uh, for two guys who grew up in the South but live in in Los Angeles. Yeah, you know, uh, there is a. Uh, sense of dismissiveness mm-hmm. that I mean like if a comedian wants to convey stupid they go right to southern, southern accent, accent. Yeah. and yeah. you know the south has become almost uh, stereotypes to be about rebel flags narrow mindedness uh, you know bigotry all these sort of ugly um, strains that sadly have been part of the fabric of, of the south right um, but there almost seems to be a, an eagerness um, to relegate Southern culture to being kind of like base culture or, or not um, legit culture. And I, I totally agree with what you're saying, that it, it really has birthed um, this kind of the best of what we have to offer mm-hmm. as a nation. And I think that even saying something like, I'm proud to be a Southerner, carries like a negative it does connotation right? Right. yeah yeah right. you think yeah. i've got a flag i'm waving in here you know right. yeah and but for me I, I feel like it's where authenticity is birthed it was you know i mean in everyday writing i feel like i'm having a sincerity contest i'm like sitting in front of someone and i'm thinking <laughs> okay how much do i mean i really i believe what you're saying and 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 let's how, how are we going to translate that right and yeah. I've always just been drawn to authenticity, and and when I hear a when I hear a, a blues singer sing, I done got old. I can't do the things I used to do. I just am taken aback, and I feel like, yeah. man, what am I doing? You know, how do, I need that kind of real. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Um, well, you know, you talked about uh, being the guy that's heavy mellow, yeah. <laughs> which is a great term. Um, you've explored some some pretty interesting sonic boundaries. I mean, I, I would say that your music is is far from being uh, kind of a, a one note kind of thing. There's a lot of variety in what you do. Um, and in 2011, you teamed up with Amy Stroop to release a handful of songs, including "Odds of Being Alone," which was featured on One Tree Hill. Life Unexpected, Parenthood, here we go with the, the yeah. TV again. Um, but obviously there was some artistic chemistry there because you guys went on to form the duo Sugar and the Hilos, which has released a couple of great albums in, in 2012 and 2015. Um, talk a little bit about how that all kind of came together and and what that outlet has meant for you creatively. Yeah, um, a friend of ours from BMI, um, 
put us together. And, you know, in Nashville, you're always uh, on musical blind dates is what I call it. You know? <laughs> right. um, but she said that we would totally hit it off. And we did. We had similar styles, similar interests. We, we could talk about Lucinda Williams and our favorite other favorite songwriters that yeah. we grew up listening to, but yet somehow didn't translate in our, our sound solo wise. Mm. Yeah. Um, maybe this is more than you need to know, but, uh, when I heard this song by the Chillites, Oh Girl, um, I, it, it made me feel again, this wave of nostalgia. And mm-hmm. I, and I was like, what is it about that song? What is it about that melody? Right. You know, there's a harmonica at the beginning right. of it that has reverb on it. <laughs> right. right. Uh, but I was, I kind of presented the idea to Amy of uh, what if we try to channel some of our, I mean, I mean, of course, you look at us, it's like, okay, sure, you're going to try to channel Sam Cooke or Otis Redding or these <laughs> right. true soul artists. I mean, come right. on. But again, they're... they're for, for those of you listening, Trent looks just like Sam Cooke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it was funny because as soon as we wrote a, a couple of songs, um, sort of giving ourselves the challenge to try to write something that isn't so heavy mellow and maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more up-tempo, right. whether that meant I pull up a, a drum loop and we write to it or what. Yeah. Um, it immediately sounded like something that wasn't um, our solo records. Right. And initially we were like, well, I want to cut that song. I was like, oh, I, I, I do too. Okay, yeah. well, let's... Uh, let's go back to the idea of having a band name right. rather than the solo thing. And so we did that and it started as a side band. And uh, for whatever reason, we would have bigger opportunities uh, with that band than we did solo. And, yeah. you know, just this last year, it was, we, we did a tour with Casey Musgraves in the UK mm. and we we're playing Royal Albert Hall. And I was wow. like, wow. how is this possible? Right. Right. Like I'm a songwriter. I mean, I- <laughs> I think that what you attempted to channel on that on those records definitely came across, and um, I have to confess that I was not aware of of those records until we were getting ready to do this interview, and I felt like an idiot. I'm like, how did I not know about this? This is great. I mean, this is the the type I love Leon Bridges and oh, like sure. all the sort of like retro soul stuff. And, yeah, and uh, I I got super distracted while preparing for this interview because I was just like, I just gotta sit and listen. I mean, yeah. a great sounding cool uh, records. I mean, see it for yourself on the on the first record is an amazing track, and um, you know, there's songs like. Like Morning Joy from the the second record, which is that just six eight Southern yeah. soul. I mean, it sounds like this could be an old, you know, James Carr or Otis Redding uh, song that that you guys covered. You know, it's it's totally got that wow. that vibe. definitely hit the nail on the head and i would uh, encourage if there's any other uh, idiots out there like myself uh, <laughs> who had not gotten turned on to these records hit pause on the podcast right now go and check these out i mean because just killer oh thanks yeah yeah great stuff now say something just kidding <laughs> yeah well i can't <laughs> shamelessness <laughs> that's what it's all about 
<laughs> it really is. That was that's what that record was about. That's what right like I I think that all the time when there's an artist in front of me and we're writing. It's so it's so strange, but it's kind of like if if you could only pretend to not care and hmm. say what is inside of you or like try to perform something that right. you're gonna second guess ten minutes later, but just right. get it down. Yeah, like shamelessness is key. That, that whole idea of trying not to care. Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty key. I feel like that's where the best art comes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, well, you you have a a pretty uh, insane work ethic. You just keep putting out these projects. Um, 2012, another solo album, Future Like Snow, which had more TV placements with it. Wrap my mind around you and better off now. But I think the first time the name Trent Dabbs showed up on the Billboard charts um, was in 2012 when you and Casey Musgraves hit the top 40 with the song Undermine. by Charles Esten and Hayden Panettiere from the cast of Nashville. Um, you've talked a bit about uh, Casey. How did you guys actually connect for the first time? And after having songs that kind of hit their mark, so to speak, all along the way, uh, this is a different kind of attention now uh, yeah. to be on the Billboard chart. What, what was well, that like? Yeah, that was the first and only time that I had written with, with Casey. And it was, uh, it was cool because here we are, you know, years later, and she asked, me to sing it with her um in some of the shows that we played on on these tours cool hmm. um and oddly enough the band uh years ago that played on sugar and the high lows records uh casey called me and she was like can you help me put a band together when she was just starting and uh and i was like sure what kind of venues are you playing and she's like well uh amphitheaters and i mean kenny chesney like these huge right. places I was like, yeah, I mean, this is like the musical draft. I'd uh, Let me grab a couple friends. Um, yeah. And then they became her band, and I was like, hey, when are you guys ever going to be back in town? <laughs> <laughs> and we would track, like, sugar records when right. they were right. actually in town. But she was cool enough to let us share a band on this last tour. Nice. That's cool. So that that was rad. I don't know a lot of artists that would do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's very cool. Well, 2012 was an insanely busy year for you. I don't know if there's a year for you that's not insanely busy. Um, but that year you had quite a few cuts with uh, Joy Williams of the Civil Wars, including the single We Are. We are. All the various collaborations you were very much a collaborator as an artist as a, as a writer you, you obviously draw a lot of energy from um working with other people and, and sharing ideas and even the you know 10 out of 10 thing it's all yeah. there's this very much this theme of like you obviously value the community aspect of of creativity um but you know there's occasional like gabe dixon cuts or, or matt carney or certain names in your uh, from your catalog that um, you have written with, but 
other than a, a handful of exceptions, most of your collaborators tend to be women. And I'm curious if there is something about um, the comfortability level or more, I mean, stereotypically speaking, women, you know, are perceived as being more in touch with their emotions. Um, what do you think it is that has drawn you to to collaborate with women probably much more often than men? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, it's usually just the voice. And maybe maybe I just would write with more females and, and really feel like there's something that I could participate with, you know. Mm. Um, it's definitely... Uh, not a wasn't an intentional thing to work with more more females but um yeah maybe it is just the the emotive quality you know you yeah. get two guys in a room and you're not really gonna talk about your your uh your past too much you know unless you dig um so right. i would I would say that. I mean, yeah. Now we've made you think about it too yeah, much. Now, 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 the whole thing. Right. That's the last female I'm working with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny, uh, you know, even, even talking about songwriting as in-depth as we do, sometimes I get a little sketched out by it for people because there was a... Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the Tom Petty documentary, Running Down a Dream. Um, you need about a whole day to watch it. Yeah, I think I it's like a four or five hour thing. It's incredible. Um, and they ask him at one point, I think they're asking him about a specific song, and they just sort of ask him about his approach to songwriting. I've probably quoted this in interviews already before, so... I'm looking forward to That's this. That's fine. He sits there and he goes, you know, it's not something I like to look in the eye too much. And I thought that was really interesting, like this sort of spiritual respect yeah. that he has for inspiration and the songwriting process. And he sort of shut the question down. Right. Um, almost out of a protective aspect for what it is that he has. Um, and sometimes I even feel that when we're asking these questions, you know, you can sort of see, you'll ask somebody a question, you can see their mind churning like, I haven't ever thought about this before. Right. <laughs> is it okay to think about this? You know, which is why I think we're not asking you, why do you go to C chords so often? Or why do you find yourself... <laughs> That's a legitimate question. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I feel like um, I feel like some of those questions are, there almost is a, a behind the veil to your thought process that sometimes maybe even is worth protecting. Yeah, I mean, I, lo I love what he said. That yeah. there is a sacredness to it, um, and I, f I feel like every time that you think you can predict when a, a great right is going to happen, like it's not usually that time. Right. And you don't know when it's going to show up. Um, however, when I'm in the room with someone that really inspires me and I feel like I can learn from, um, uh, a, a song co will come of it right. that I'm really yeah. happy with. So it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. to. I've, I've even tried to channel some of the things that I thought were like, uh, parts of the the puzzle like Amy and Sugar in the Hollows when we would write we would sit at her kitchen table it wasn't like a writing room or anything it was just sit at her kitchen table sun would come through the window there's hardwood floors um I don't know there's there's no pretense it's just yeah. me strumming on an old B25 Gibson and so here we are 
now and I have a, an office and I, I got hardwood floors. I got sun coming in, you know, just hoping for the <laughs> right, same right. vibe. <laughs> right. And uh, and it's a totally different vibe. Yeah. yeah. And it shows up at totally different times. Right. I find myself when I'm writing with somebody asking to use their guitar for most of the session because I feel like there's a different song in it yeah. than in mine. You know, my hands are going to land differently on it and hit something else. I think that's so true. I've, I've been in growing guitar so many times and felt around just to see what what's in there and yeah um i definitely have purchased plenty of old gibsons you should just set up a right there yeah and you don't have to worry just about back me at- yeah. yeah uh well yeah the, the 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 pickup truck is reserved today we have to go to groom have to get a good yeah. guitars um well Couple more solo records. Uh, the way we look at horses in 2013, and Believer in 2015, and I, I, uh, I hate to just brush over entire albums yeah. uh, in with with one uh, sentence because obviously a lot of uh, great songs and a lot to be discovered on those records. So hopefully people will take the time to go and and check them out if you haven't already. Um, uh, I do did want to ask you though about Ingrid Michaelson's 2014 album Lights Out, which uh, included the song Girls Chase Boys, which was a top 10 on both Billboard's Hot Rock Songs and Adult Top 40 charts. success on the billboard chart which is always a cool thing uh for any writer um but kind of talk about how in the midst of making your own records rather solo or you know in partnership with other folks um how does a guy get involved in writing half of an ingrid michaelson album yeah um well it was definitely uh don't even like the word organic but that is what it was like amy and i had a tour with ingrid i've been a fan of hers um watch her from side stage play these songs and i could identify the things that i really liked and the things that i felt like could be different you know and um but i never approached her to songwrite i mean in nashville i feel like there's this umbrella of of uh Sometimes I feel like there's an umbrella of understanding where it's like there's a time we should write, you know, just because we're all friends doesn't mean we all need to write together. Right. You know? But it usually needs to be the artist idea. And that's not a very publishing company thought because, <laughs> you know, they're usually set up. But for her in particular, um, maybe just the, the respect that I that I have for her as an artist, when we were doing that tour, uh, I I didn't hit her up to to write and so when it was her idea and she was work gonna make another record she hadn't really done that much co-writing and mm. um she had so much going on behind the scenes so when she when she came into nashville i'll never forget it because I, it was one of those moments where i'm like man i really need to bring my my a game whatever that is right she comes in we wrote two songs in one day um and 
I called my producer friend and said, man, this is such a long shot, but is your studio open tonight? I'm sorry to be that guy, but it's too late. And and he was like, yeah, sure, bring her over. And we went to the studio and she put those songs down and those two songs, those vocals are the ones that were used on the record. Wow. Hmm. And those were like the um, slow, heavy, mellow, <laughs> uh, heavy subject matter songs. And, uh, and those led us to write more, which I feel like led us to write Girls Chase Boys, super lighthearted. Mm. And, yeah. Um, and that was I mean, the biggest song of my, my life. Yeah. Um, and we had no idea that it would uh, fly so far and you know fast forward and we'd be playing hangout fest in florida and there's an ocean of people singing that song <laughs> right. right i realized there i was like this is i would so much rather uh be on this side of the equation like just mm. be a part of it and right. see someone uh take it farther you know than i think i would personally take it um Hayden Panettiere had another top 40 country single with Don't Put Dirt on My Grave just yet. This time is goodbye trouble I feel the light at the end of this tunnel I get stronger with every step Come hell, come high water You push on me, I'm gonna push back harder I got a whole lot more than a little bit left So don't put dirt on my grave just yet You know, that's again, I thought of this when you mentioned like Ingrid Michaelson at this huge festival and mm-hmm. you're watching all these people sing along and they're singing the song that you made up, you know, yeah. that, uh, and the same deal, like with the Hayden stuff, like with the Nashville stuff, these are, are songs that you birth. They are songs that you created. Um, and you have the opportunity to see people sing along to them, buy them, make them a part of their life. And the songwriter, you know, in these cases where it's not stuff that's off your own records, the songwriter is like this invisible presence. You right. know, you're yeah. the, you're the guy who made it. Everybody knows it, but they have no idea who you are. Right. Um, and you can't be a good artist or songwriter without some degree of, of ego. You know, how do you, how do you kind of manage that? I mean, is there, you're sitting in a restaurant and girls chase boys comes on the, on the stereo, is there like a part of you that wants to like tell the waitress like, "Hey, by the way, I wrote that, <laughs> I wrote that song." <laughs> like, uh, how do you sort of manage that? Just the 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 ego part of the thing, you know, being a guy who does go out and goes on stage and people give you accolades to also seeing some of your songs become very successful, but maybe people love those songs might not know who you are. Yeah, I think that's what keeps it real for me. Like, since since songwriting is such a hidden thing like you're saying i mean yeah. people don't dig into credits anymore which is sad yeah um which is why we're doing this yeah. which is why Basically. this is the most amazing podcast ever and <laughs> I, I think it, that kind of uh always puts it on a realistic uh level for me like i'm not i'm not leaving nashville and people coming up to me knowing certain songs um but i do i when a song plays that i've written that that is on the radio I do love to look at people's reactions. Just I don't even know what I'm looking for. What am I looking for? A bunch of like a huge head nod, you know, yes. Right. Or what is this? And then change the channel. Like right. I mean, that people stuff are happens. weeping. Yeah, I mean, that's so I think uh. I've seen an, enough of those things happen 
good or bad, right? To yeah. always level it out. You know, yeah. always write the song where I'm like, oh, this is gonna be huge, and then, uh, and then, you know, Lori McKenna tells me, yeah, I just talked to Tim. He's gonna cut that song tomorrow, and then you know, th- he didn't. Right. You know, it's like you have no idea what <laughs> right. is gonna hit and what what right. isn't. Right. So, you just consistently feel lucky that way, and um, and that's that's, I think that's what's always gonna level level me yeah you know i I don't know anyone that um that just feels totally content and totally satisfied in in what they're doing you Mm -hmm. know um songwriting wise you know everyone's kind of fidgety yeah and um and i think that's kind of what what keeps us going it sounds like the mindset of somebody who might title an album the optimist yeah, <laughs> it does. <laughs> That's a perfect. That was a nice, How was that? that was a nice transition, right? Yeah, <laughs> pro. Yeah. So yeah, you have a new album. Tell us, tell us all about your new album, The Optimist. I had written maybe two records worth of songs. Uh, believe believe that or not. Um, <laughs> when uh, Amy and I from Sugar in the Hollows got back from the UK uh, tour with Casey, I was going through these questions of. Uh, should my songs be more literal? Like there's something about her songs um, just being so straightforward. Family is family. It's like, okay, I right. get that. But they connect so well and they're so true and there's such a, more of a vulnerability in being that straightforward. Yeah. Um, and is that why I don't write those kind of songs? Well, there was an album worth of, of literal songs and an album's worth of like not so literal songs. Right. And I couldn't figure out which one made more sense so I ditched both of those <laughs> and called my friend um, that I, I love writing with, um, somebody that when I first moved to Nashville was had written one of my favorite melodies of all time. And, and I said, man, can we take a week and a half, write a record, and then the next week record it? <laughs> and I, and we are, I know the players I can call and all that. And he's like, absolutely. Because in my mind, I was like, the the worst thing uh, for me, or a lot of artists, I think, is just is time on your hands. So, if, more time to second guess, yeah, what what's what's best. And right. uh, so, I thought it would be cool just to like uh, have a Polaroid and hand it to fans rather than Photoshop it for a year right. and mm-hmm. not be able to play it live. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, so we did that, and, and and it's like such a moment, and I love it. And this record, like. There's a lot of like um, the the country's pretty filtered out of it, and maybe that's because his name is Daniel Tash, and that's who I wrote. He produced it um, and wrote it with me, yeah. with the exception of one song that I wrote by myself. But he has such like '70s ideas, and hmm. um, I mean, it was just a trip. Yeah, it was a trip. We were in his studio, and I mean, you know, the ADD's bad when I'm having to rein it in, like because <laughs> he's. <laughs> He's like, what do we do this? What about this? I'm going to go make some pasta. <laughs> I'm like, uh. <laughs> but there's a lot of themes about Nashville and contentment and um, mm. that are seeped in, into this record. And uh, One being Don't Believe in Stars, which is kind of a narrative on celebrity. And mm. um, I'm, really, I'm really happy with, with the album. See, my life is an awkward face. My happiness don't translate. Call me up when you feel the same Say you don't believe in 
been a more than a lifetime's worth of music out of Trent Dabbs in the last uh, 10 years, and I'm guessing we're going to get a couple lifetimes more in the years ahead. So uh, we want to thank you for coming over here today and hanging out with us a little bit and giving us some insight into your uh, career. It's been really great. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. To find out more about our guests, stream episodes, get a sneak peek at upcoming interviews, or to contact us with your feedback, visit songcraftshow.com. While you're there, sign up for our mailing list so you can stay up to date with everything that's happening in the Songcraft universe. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash songcraftshow. And if you enjoy what we're doing here at Songcraft, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review on iTunes, which truly helps potential listeners discover these conversations. And we look forward to getting together with you again for the next episode of Songcraft.